good evening everyone. This is uh, the last talk of session, the last night of session as you all know. Um, the title of tonight's talk, seeing it's the last um, evening of session, we're about to transition into our everyday lives. I often like to give a talk around that transition. And uh, the title of tonight's talk is From No Self to Social Self. So, Zazen is probably, and doing a session, is probably the closest we get to the experience of no self or touching that place. And um, it's a place where we're just more present with the way things are um, and we're like a, a mirror that just reflects the way things are. A mirror is a good, a good metaphor for Zen practice um, because a mirror just, it doesn't distort what's in front of it, it just shows what is right there. Right? There's no distortion. Neither does it judge. It doesn't say, oh, that's an attractive face or an ugly face or that's a good experience or a bad experience. It just, um, it just reflects back what is there without judgment. And neither does it cling to anything. So images may pass and go in front of the mirror, but it doesn't hold on to them whatsoever. It just reflects it and then away it goes. Something else arises and away it goes. So it's a very good um, metaphor for understanding what no self is. And it's very different from when I, um, our mind is filled up with drama and self-absorption and criticism and etc etc and analysis um, the mind is emptied and clear so during sarsen and, and session that's perhaps the the closest we get to that experience and we're just there just with the 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 randomness of life as it comes and goes do you know the, the traffic going past do you know and the body sensations and the sounds inside the room and even the thoughts that arise in your mind and come and go, that's all part of the randomness that we just absor just experience. Mm -hmm. um, but even so, even though um, we're sitting, and we probably can all laugh that we experience something like this as well, is that um, obviously, you know, when we're sitting, we um, have no eye contact, not talking, no social greetings, there's no conversation with anyone else. Um, and because there's no conversation with anyone else, the brain wants to do something, so it creates a conversation with itself. Mm -hmm. And um, so we, we, we create conversations in our own mind, you know, and then we notice that we're doing it and let it go. But if you, if you were to name some of the narrators inside there, you know, they're having little conversations going on. There's, there's like the, the inner barrister, you know, the, the courtroom barrister who's fighting some cause, you know, and trying to work out the best logical arguments to defeat the opponent. Or, or there's the inner critic, you know, that, that is criticising. Also the, the inner philosopher, you know, that's trying to work life out, or the inner psychologist that's trying to work yourself out, you know, all these little conversations go on inside of us. Um, 
uh, because we're deprived of conversation on the outside, so we want to keep it going in some way. So of course we label it and we recognise and we move on from there. Or another way of understanding our, our inner experience, whether it's in everyday life or in zazen or in session, you know, is that we wander through the six worlds, as Hakuin reminds us in the Song of Zazen. And if I can remind you what the six worlds are, um, it's the God realm, and the God realm is where we kind of sit in our smug, privileged place in life, whatever that might be. It's the fighting demons realm, where we, we're in contest with the people and the it's a game and we've got to win, you know, whether it's an intellectual debate or a physical fight or whatever. Um, it's that, that competitive type of realm that we can get into. So we go through that. And then there's the poor old hungry ghosts, you know, that are sort of in despair and never have enough and, and the glass is always half empty, always searching for something else. You know, that's the hungry ghost realm that we inhabit. Another one is the, the hell realm where we're in fear and terror and then anger fighting back. It's like we're adrenalized all the time. Mm-hmm. And then there's the animal realm, which um, in this sense of the animals is kind of like habituated, dull, sleeping all the time, um, very territorial um, and not, not using the rational mind you know, or awareness very much, sort of very, very sort of dull in that animal sense. Mm-hmm. And then lastly, there's the human realm that we dwell in as well. And the human realm can be that realm that's typified in Buddhism where people always got a project, you know, always doing the next project, the next thing that's got to be done, busy, 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 busy. Never time, never, never, and rational mind, you know, never, never stopping to just stop the mind and just be with life as it is, always on the go, always doing something, always arriving somewhere in the future, goal, goal orientated. So we wander through the six worlds, and sometimes we, we take up habitation in um, one of those realms more than another but we wander through all of them. But as we do session, we see that more clearly, how we wander. And um, through our practice, we just keep bringing ourselves back to the present moment until that wandering, if it doesn't cease altogether, at least it, it quietens down to some degree. And the alternative place to all that is just simply being present to what is. So we go from all that experience and then soon we will go, and tomorrow in particular, we'll go back into social life, um, which is very different. And we will be in conversations with people that we know, loved ones, people close to us, friends, and people who are strangers and people in public. And that has its own randomness as well. We meet the unexpected and we are more likely, rather than in a room here, to meet either pleasantness or indifference or even rudeness, whatever it might be, the selfish behaviour of other people 
we come up all against that and then we then we have to navigate that realm and what does this experience of less self or no self how, how does it transform into that social realm um, that's the that's the challenge for us um, in simple terms it's our practice to um, stay present to what is as much as possible and to not get caught up in the dramas of other people um, to not get caught up in criticizing others uh -huh. and to listen as well as to talk um, so it's bringing in other words the non-reactivity that we develop in Sarsen into manifesting that or bringing that through, transporting that through into the social realm. And it's a lot harder to do it out there. You know, in here with no conversation and so on, we don't get triggered quite so much. But when we're out socially interacting with people, there's so many triggers out there coming our way and um, our challenge is to recognize what they are and not hook into them and that's where the precepts um, are so important there's a cluster of precepts that are the cluster around our our interaction with others and the ones that come to mind um, not criticizing the faults of others um, not praising oneself and abusing others um, uh, meeting others with openness and possibility. All of those um, are reminders um, about how to engage with others in the world. And it's, it's more challenging than session in many ways. But we do session to touch base with just the no-self and the experience of suchness and reducing that self-absorption Right, so that we can be we can be open to social experience, and in people, um, the psychology of interacting with other people varies from person to person, and um, what we call attachment theory comes into play here as a way of understanding how we relate to others. So we talk about people having secure attachment and people having um, avoidant insecure attachment styles or anxious in anxious insecure attachment styles. Someone who's got a fortunate enough to have a secure attachment, it's not the same as enlightenment as some psychologists claim it is, it's not at all, it's maybe a platform towards it. But a secure person likes other people, is comfortable in the in the intimacy with other people, but if they're alone they're quite okay too. Um, whereas the two insecure styles, um, an avoidance style, and people who will tend to isolate themselves, be loners, um, uh, maybe be cynical of relationships, don't aren't comfortable around intimacy at all, and they might look as though they're independent, um, but they're actually. Their, their autonomy is actually, um, their, their apparent autonomy is not as autonomous as what it might appear to be because they're quite anxious. And so there's a kind of a, 
underneath is a craving to be close to others, but a fear of being hurt or not understood, so they withdraw from the world. And, um, and then you get people with an anxious style who tend to be more like people pleasers, you know, need, need the attention and the validation of others to regulate their own emotional states. Now, when you look at session, it's interesting because um, people with a secure attachment style who do session can, can do it quite comfortably. And funnily enough, people with an avoidant attachment style, it suits them right down to the ground, right? Um, because they don't have to interact with anyone. Uh-huh. Um, but the people with the anxious attachment styles are perhaps the ones who find um, retreats or sessions the most difficult because they're so used to regulating their, their emotions and calming themselves through people validating, smiling at them, looking at them, saying nice things about them, just being around others. And if you take that away from them, um, they're, 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 they're lost. Mm-hmm. But people with avoidance styles can do sessions much, much better. Their struggle is that actually being out there in the outside world. And I don't want to categorise people into being this or this or this, because you know categories are nonsense at the end of the day. But we probably all have some level of secure attachment within us and insecure attachment, and that we have a we have a wing. You know, we can have a wing that goes towards being anxious in our style or avoidant in our style. If I was to assess myself, I would think that I've basically got a secure style, but there's a wing towards avoidance. And um, it's useful to know what that style is, because it 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 will play out in the way that we interact with others, and it will, um, it will, trigger our grasping mind or our, our aversion mind. Mm-hmm. If you're anxious, you, you, you're grasping for the, the um, validation for others. If, you, if you're avoidant, you're having aversion towards being around other people. So those Buddhist dynamics come into play there. The other thing um, to look at in terms of going into the outside world too is that people like Zen practitioners this being a path of the bodhisattva you know where it's not just about your own realisation but you know the welfare and the well-being of others um, you, you do you do Zen and, and that, that, start, that that emerges within you more and more and as we've been touching on in some of the talks um, this session or you know on Tuesday night, um, everyone would like to be more compassionate. You know, we we, 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 we we work towards cultivating compassion in the way that we want to interact with others, which is a, a fine thing. Um, but if you're trying to be compassionate, it's kind of, to use a Zen expression, you're putting legs on a snake. 
you, you, you just, the trying gets in the way. You know? And really, the way that compassion evolves, it's, it's indirect. You just have to see the self-absorption and reduce the self-absorption. And what will emerge is compassion. Right? Because when we're self-absorbed, we have little time for empathy with other, or our, our mind is not turned outwards, it's always turned inwards. And so much energy goes into the self-absorption that there's nothing left out, much left for others. So the way of compassion really is to just reduce the self-absorption. And the energy's got to go somewhere, right? So it'll, it'll start to be directed outwards rather than inwards. And you'll see, then you, once you connect it to other people or the environment, you know, then you, you're aware of what needs to be done. Right? Simple things. They don't have to be grand. But if you're less self-absorbed, for example, and you work through the bush, and you're really noticing the environment, you see the rubbish in the bush, right? And so, and then instead of being ignorant of it, you see it there, and instead of complaining that, you know, all these terrible people who leave it there and someone should clean it up, well, it moves you to go, oh, well, I'll clean it up. Right? And you get, a, you get a, a garbage bag and you go through the bush and, and you clean it up. Right? And it's a very humble thing to do because you're a garbage collector, right? Mm-hmm. Even I heard that Prince Charles, when he goes out for a walk with, he, with his boys, he always used to have a, a garbage bag and he'd pick up rubbish in the bushes along the road. So if it's good enough for Prince Charles, you know, maybe it's good enough for us. It's very humbling just to be a, a garbage collector with your garbage bag, you know, picking up the rubbish. That's a simple way that it can occur. But it might occur through, you know, being more aware of the environment, being involved in, 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 in um, environmental issues or social justice issues, you know, but as the self-absorption reduces, the energy's got to go somewhere. So it goes outwards, rather than just going into a vortex down here. And um, we see what needs to be done, and then we and then we act on it. Also, too, with this session where we're coming in and sitting as a little group, as a community, twice a day, and then going back to our own places and either being by ourselves, being out in nature and so on. In many ways, we're um, duplicating both sides of the Zen tradition that we inherit. And what we've mostly inherited is a monastic community practice you know, where we we all come together to practice together. But what is not recognised enough in the literature is that particularly in China, where Zen originated, and then in Japan, is that there's the tradition of the hermit. And the hermit goes off by themselves into the mountains, you know, and they go off for many, many years um, and sit by themselves. And they may have been a... Um, a monk, you know, who's completed their formal training and then they go and, and they're a hermit for many years and, and deepen their practice. And that's very important too. 
and it, I'd, I'd like to encourage all of us, you know, to it's not one or the other. It's it's both together. The importance of both to to be part of a sangha, you know, and to be part of a community, and to support a community and be supported by it. But it's also important to have time alone and to experience what it's like to be alone, because they're the two they're the two realities of our life. Is that we we are alone. Ultimately, you know, we're in our own private consciousness, right? and at the end of the day, we go to when we go to bed, we go to sleep alone. You know, and yet we're we're wired for connection, you know, and we're connected with other people. Um, what comes to mind is um, Robert Aitken wrote. He often used to quote um, uh, that we are. We're born alone, we realise uh, true nature alone, and we die alone. Mm-hmm. Um, that doesn't mean that we're isolated, but those, those two things go together. We're alone, and paradoxically, we're connected at the same time. And so if we spend time to be alone, as some people have started to do with their own private retreats, people have a, a great experience out of it. And it's by being alone sometimes that you recognise how much you you caught up in the drama of your interactions with other people and you have a chance to to see that clearly and for it to drop away. But finally too, as a as a, a little saying, as something to uh, take into our everyday lives and practice around this dimension of aloneness and togetherness. There was a very, um, very well-known um, Japanese um, monk, Shaka Soen, who lived end of like 1890s, 1900s, around that time, uh, who was a very well-known monk. He was really the teacher of many of the, the teachers who first brought Zen to the West, like D.T. Suzuki and so on. Um, and he said, um, when you're with other people, act as though you're alone. And when you're alone, act as though you're with other people. Mm-hmm. And if we carry that through into our lives, when we're with other people, we're still connected to that no-self. You know, and that that treasure, which is there through all of our interactions, and um, and when we're by ourselves, we don't just goof off. Right? We we act as though um, we're bringing our, our best self forward in that experience. You know, in in terms of our connection with others as well. So it's a good little saying to end on and to remind yourself of as you um, transition back into your social life again.